Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to the 22nd episode of Avatar. This is Book 2, Earth, Chapter 2, The Cave of Two Lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is this this is an episode that's divisive? I think so. But this is partially just based on my experience and my husband's experience. So when Mike watched this the first time, he hated it. Now when he rewatched it with me, it's one of his favorites. And every time he rewatches it, it he it becomes more and more beloved. Okay. I think because when you're in when you're watching through the series the first time, you really want to get to the action. And this feels a little bit like a filler. Mm-hmm. Um or we learned some stuff about earthbending. Absolutely. For it, sure. It's interesting because it's definitely, it feels like a side quest, but actually yep. it's totally not. Like, like this is about them getting somewhere. Yeah. And I think he was frustrated by the goofiness of it the first time through, but uh-huh. now that's his favorite part. Does this come up on lists of like the worst Avatar episodes? Because um, we've talked about this in the past. I don't know that I've noticed it. I just think tone wise, it sound, it's kind of similar to... The Great Divide, or or some of those more goofy parts, but so much better. Obviously, yeah. so much better. Yeah, I would say uh, or, more like the Fortune Teller, maybe. Sure. Where, where it's like actually, there's actually no. I actually think this bears huge relationship to the Fortune Teller because it the central to it is about relationships, mm-hmm. right? And it's relationships which were we get seeded in the Fortune Teller, and you can look at the Fortune Teller and say, well, you really don't need that episode in there. Yeah. But you do for some character development stuff, if not for major plot development. So I would say I would say this is this is a lot like the fortune teller. Yeah, or even like the King of Omashu too. There were some jokes in there as mm-hmm. far as like joking around having fun, lighthearted stuff. And maybe because they're on their way to Omashu, it kind of feels more Oh, like like too. the closer you get to Boomy, the silly. Right. The weirder get. everything around it is. Wow, I love it. I love Boomy's aura. <laughs> He's my favorite. All right. Well, let's uh, just so people know, um, we do have a guest at the end of this episode. Oh, man. Yeah. I could have talked to her for so long. Yeah. So we talked with uh, one of my TAs, uh, Nancy Alcacera, and um, it was great. It's really just exactly what we want these interviews to be. So yeah. uh, that will be coming at the end of the episode. So even when we get to we get through the summary uh, and the talk through, know that there's a, another great conversation. Yes. All right. So let's get into it. Okay. So we open up on a lake and we had talked before about how we really wanted Katara and Aang, like to see scenes of them continuing to practice waterbending. And that's what they're doing here. Katara is um, assuming her role as master Mm -hmm. and and Aang is her pupil. What I liked about this is that they included this is that this, we really do get to see the student teacher relationship because as we've talked about before this show a lot of the old masters and and I'm going to emphasize old like they tend to be um real prickly with yep. their students yep. and we're seeing Katara as I mean she's like the cool teacher right like she's like doesn't have that kind of animosity towards Aang and part cuz she knows him and she can embrace his uh Ex- youthful exuberance and sort of his silliness is like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's not a problem that they, it's not a problem she's trying to beat out of him. Right. Exactly. Where it seems like the older teachers are more dismissive, maybe like, uh, we don't have time for mm-hmm. time for you <laughs> if you're not willing to s- commit yourself fully. Um, so 
they're out in the water, um, kind of near the shore, and Sokka is floating on his giant leaf, and he's in his underwear. They're all kind of like mm-hmm. in the swimwear, right? Um, but he is fully just in underwear with Momo sleeping on his lap. I will say I loved Sokka and Momo this episode. There yes. was some definite bonding between the two. Uh, and he says, are you guys going to be done soon? We have a lot of ground to cover if we want to make it to Amashu today. So this thrilled me just to know that Amashu is not something that we talked at the end of last episode. You know, are we going to, this is going to take us five, six episodes to get there. And this is telling us they're on the cusp There's... that he's hoping to get there that day. So close. Yeah. I can't wait. Um, and, and so Katara and, and Aang continue to work on what was called the octopus form. I'm assuming it's from the scroll. Um, but Katara corrects Aang's stance, right? So she is willing to go help him. Mm-hmm. So he he is standing too wide or too wide of a stance. So she comes over behind him, reaches around and like shows him how to place his hands. And Aang, kind of infatuated by Katara, starts to blush um, by her touching him. Uh, but uh, even though he's nervous because of that, it does help him. So he's able to get that octopus form in the water. Now, what was interesting about this, too, is the uh, the last teacher, oh, actually not the last teacher, one of his previous teachers, uh, right, Zhang Zhang, kept being like wider, wider, yeah. wider. And Katara is actually giving him the opposite advice. Now, this is water bending, not fire bending. But mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, that, that there is, yeah. The, the stance seems to matter, but it's and it's not just the width of the stance or how wide it is. Right, yeah. Um, so so Aang is able to make like eight legs of water come up around him like an octopus where he would kind of be the center. And Katara goes back to where she was and starts shooting ice daggers at him. And he's meant to defend himself with the octopus eggs, uh, legs, which he does really well. Um, and at the end, he's able to even bypass her attacks and grab her ankle with one of the octopus legs. So Katara goes, uh, you make a fine octopus pupil, Aang. Um, and and so it's just kind of a lighthearted start. But Momo's- I also think it's cool. Like, like that is a cool technique. The yeah. idea of, like, have, you know, uh, creating functionally this animal out of water, uh-huh. you know, that- that, that then you can conduct and you can use all of those different things. Yeah, I actually, like, what I'm curious about is are we going to see a version of this technique then used later on? Yeah, maybe in a larger scale. Right. Right. Oh, how cool would that be? Out in the oh, ocean, yeah. like, giant octopus. Octopus oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. And how hard it would be to control eight different limbs at mm-hmm. once. I'm thinking like piano, it's hard enough for me to play like two right. <laughs> two hands on a no, piano. No, it's very much like conduct, like like music conducting, right? Yeah, that you have all these different things that are, and they're working in concert. Yeah, I, I, it's it's very cool. Yeah, good for Aang mastering that right yeah. away. Uh, so Momo hears something though as they approach. His ears perk up as he's laying on on Sokka, and the gang begins to hear kind of music coming towards them, and there's this troop of what I describe as hippies hippies of the avatar world absolutely um so (laughs) at first it looks like there's only three and i feel like as we go there's more and more by the end there's as many as six five or six six. like yeah i i'm glad you said that because in my head i thought oh there's three and then a scene later it's like why why there's There's another another woman woman. yes exactly (laughs) it was super confusing um but the leader of this troop of hippies is playing a stringed instrument kind of like a lute Mm -hmm. i guess uh and singing a song and um so so here are the lyrics i won't sing it for you it says don't fall in love with a traveling girl she'll leave you broke and broken hearted as we'll see the lyrics are not always great 
from these folks. Um, but they're happily playing their songs. And they seem like impromptu lyrics, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because sometimes he'll play and, like, what he's singing doesn't match up with the amount of, like, beats in the song. Mm-hmm. And it sounds terrible. So, um, well, it's, it, it's I love it, actually. <laughs> I mean, there there is something to him that reminds me of um, maybe not Woody Guthrie, but like somebody who would have been a nomad traveler riding the rails with Woody Guthrie. <laughs> sure. You know, and it's just sort of like we're just singing what we see. Yeah. And I kind of dig that, actually. That's fair. That's fair. Sometimes it gets a little atonal and a little... But hard even, to listen to. <laughs> even that I like. Like like uh, this is the like kind no of thing, rules. Yeah, it's yeah. the kind of thing where like there's going to be a lot of music in this episode. Yes. And like I I wish I could get these songs on Spotify. I think I would <laughs> listen from time to time. Yeah. And a uh, fun fact that we both learned is that D Bradley Baker who plays this lead hippie is also the voice of Appa and Momo. Yes. So he's a jack of all trades. Yeah. The guy can act out animals. He can also sing Woody Guthrie like songs that he makes up on I the I think moment. we actually need to create a D Bradley Baker alert and pay attention to cuz I bet he cuz this is a great voice not just the singing but this character has an awesome funny funny perfect way of delivering lines mm-hmm. um the way of speaking so like I kind of want to track other roles that he plays cuz cuz he's clearly in every episode if he's playing Appa and Momo and there's not a lot of work I think in that so I'm guessing he's often playing other side characters so I want to pay attention to who else he gets to play I wonder if he plays a lot of the animals could be yeah Hmm. we should we should check this out so um so the leader who will learn his name is Chong um he has this like dark surfer hair that's kind of like peeking out from his hat um, and he has some scruff on his chin, kind of a five o'clock shadow. And he's wearing this blue robe that's open in part of it. And the sleeve like drapes down and he uses it as a satchel. So just, um, yeah, nomad. <laughs> Nomad's a great word. And I think that's even what they call themselves. It is, yeah. Um, and so his arm then is revealed as well. So he's able to strum his guitar easier as he walks. And uh, he, <laughs> he approaches the Aang gang and says, hey, hey, river people. And so um, just to describe kind of what the rest of the crew looks like, behind him is a woman with a flower on her cap. They all kind of have different flowers in different places on their outfits. And she's playing a flute. And then there's a man with one of those farmer's ha- farmer hats that we saw um, Zuko wearing in a previous episode. And um, also with a flower on it carrying a drum and a bed mat. Mm-hmm. So clearly they just set up camp wherever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And some other... Some other folks will appear randomly throughout. And Katara stands in the river confused by these people and says, we aren't river people. And Chong goes, you're not. Well, then what kind of people are you? And Aang says, just people. And then Chong goes, aren't we all, brother? So we're going to see some like... Um, hippie wisdom. Yeah, hippie yeah. wisdom in this episode. Which which is not to dismiss it. No. Like, I actually think like, like he is going to be oddly very wise... Uh, whether it's accidental or not. Exactly. He sort of lets it come to him. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Sokka marches up to the nomads with Momo on his shoulder, and he is not having this hippie wisdom at all throughout the whole episode, really. And he goes, who are you? Immediately skeptical. And he introduces himself um, as Chong, and the wife, the flute player, is is Lily. And they say they're both nomads who are happy to go wherever the wind takes them. And he just then begins rocking out on his flute. Interesting thing about Lily. Do you know 
And this is maybe not even somebody who you know, but do you know who plays the part of Lily, who does the voice? No. Her name is Lorraine Newman, who's one of the original SNL cast members. Oh. So she was on Saturday Night Live from 1975 to 1980. Hmm. So, yeah, it just was like I was going through the, the cast list and I'm like, I know who Lorraine Newman is. Yeah. yeah. So Why does this show bring so many people from all these different areas? It's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 just fantastic. Um, so... Uh, Chong then starts like playing his playing his lute, and he's kind of forgetful and eccentric. Um, I think the name Chong is probably a reference to Cheech and Chong, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because there is like a, although there's no overt drug usage, there is a stoner vibe to Chong. Like it's, it's oh, like it's all when of I them. say hippie wisdom, it's like stoner wisdom too. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like. Uh, what if we all saw different colors kind yeah. of thing? So Chong, um, he's kind of eccentric and he he trails off what he's singing and stares at Sokka and says, nice underwear. And Sokka's weirded out. And then we just cut away. <laughs> well, he covers he covers it with Momo. Momo, yes. And like inches away from, from yes. the screen. Um, we should say Sokka without the, the hair tie up. Yes, yeah. true. So we get that. We get this is the laid back this, Sokka. Exactly. Like he and he looks like a surfer bro when you do that. He so. does. Yeah. I actually really like Sokka's hair. I, I like I, Sokka this whole episode. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. Uh, so I was concerned for a second that we might not get an Iroh Zuko moment in this episode. Because they, they tend to want to take this away when we have great moments, but they're here. Oh, they're here. And so we end with a close-up of Chong staring at Sokka's underwear. And we move to a close-up of Iroh staring intensely at a flower. Um, and he's kind of crouched before it. And he's entranced by it. And Zuko, in the background, stumbles through the forest and has like an angsty kind of grumpy moment. Um, and he says, I didn't find anything to eat. I can't live like this. I wasn't meant to be a fugitive. This is impossible. And just freaking out mm-hmm. in the background. Um, kicks the dirt, shakes his fist at the sky. Very dramatic. And Iroh is still kind of sniffing at, staring at this flower. So Zuko comes up frustrated and asks him what he's doing. And Iroh says, you're looking at the rare white dragon bush. Its leaves make a tea so delicious, it's heartbreaking. That or it's a white, uh, white jade bush, which is poisonous. And Zuko says, we need food, not tea. I'm going fishing. And he stomps off. So again, kind of Zuko is being um, the practical one. <laughs> and I think I think it's also worth mentioning uh, because the last time we saw them, right, they were cutting off the um, the ponytails, yes. right? And, uh, and so we were talking about how that was symbolic of sort of embracing this peasant life, mm-hmm. dare we say nomadic life even. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to look at what they're wearing. Yes. Right, that they are in this sort of dark olive drab kind of um peasant looks very like. very earth nation peasant like yeah. Right? yeah so it's i mean it it's weird like it almost looks like they're wearing like old school like sweatsuits or, or something yeah. right because they're like even cuffed at the ankles and at the, and it's it's just it's very yeah i i it was strange because i'm used to them dressed in really cool clothes, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, the Fire Nation stuff or the, like, Sokka, the Winter Soldier kind of outfit. Mm. Or, or, you know, so I'm used to that. And this is, like, these are not cool clothes that they're wearing at this point. Right. And um, some time has passed because Zuko's hair has grown out a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a buzz cut a little bit. Like, it, yeah, it's short. It, it, looks, it looks like somebody who's growing out a buzz cut. Yeah, yeah. And they're just at the... Beginning stages of the awkward, I'm growing out of buzz cut. Right, right. Like, it's a little bit peach fuzzy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it makes me wonder, like, well, I was going to say if Sokka's hair is curly when it grows out, but obviously we know the ponytail's not. So. Zuko? 
Or yeah, sorry, yeah. Zuko, yeah. Um, I, I couldn't tell if I thought he looked younger or older with the buzz hair, but he looks different for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. I would just say different, maybe slightly younger. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, so, um, the camera then zooms in on Iroh's face, and uh, without Zuko there, and he's still staring at the flower, and he goes, "Hmm, delectable tea." Or deadly poison, and he's trying to debate whether he should consume the flower or whatever he would do. I guess make it into tea or, mm-hmm. or something. Uh, so then we go back to the gang resting by the river on Appa's fur, and the nomads are just hanging out with them, um, like laying on Appa. One of them is braiding his hair. Um, and just to be clear, Appa's hair is getting <laughs> braided with <laughs> yes. flowers. Yeah, uh, he looks great. He does, and. Uh, it, they're just kind of lazily strumming their instruments. No song, really, just kind of playing around. And Aang is really taken by the nomads, and he tries to convince Sokka to listen to some of their, I guess, hippie wisdom, their stories about everywhere that they've been. And Chan goes, well, we haven't been everywhere, little arrowhead. I love his nickname for it, yes. for Aang. But where we haven't been, we've heard about through stories and songs. I get some deep wisdom there. And Sokka has his brow raised. He's really unimpressed. And Aang tells Sokka that they're that the nomads are going to show the gang these giant night crawlers. I guess they're worms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we know when this show says giant, they it mean means giant, like bigger than Appa. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the man who's he's dressed in pink. He's the drummer, I guess. I think we learn his name is Moku. Oh, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he dreamily says on the way to the giant night crawlers. There's a waterfall that creates a never-ending rainbow, and he lays flat on his back, and he raises his arms to the sky. Much Uh, like a turtle that's been turned over. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, Sokka says, look, I I hate to be the wet blanket here, but since Katara is busy and the camera cuts to her. Awesome dig right there. She's getting her hair braided by Lily. Um, He's like, I guess it's up to me. We need to get to Omashu. No sidetracks, no worms, and definitely no rainbows. And so Chong says, whoa, sounds like someone's got a case of destination fever. Ha, you worry too much about where you're going. And Lily says, you got to focus less on the where and more on the going. Yeah. I kind of like that, actually. It, yeah, the journey brings its own rewards, right? Yeah. yeah. And Sokka says, oh. Which, which, which actually I'm interested in, like, might be... We're always looking for mission statements. Oh yeah, this might be one, mm-hmm. right? That like that 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 getting there is part of is part of the journey. I mean, this 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 goes back to Joseph Campbell, right? Mm. That 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 it's not the hero's destination, but it's the hero's journey. All of right? season one was their journey, not exactly not getting right? there. And think of all of the stuff that we learned and they learned. If they had just shown up at the North Pole in episode three, mm. right? Like they wouldn't have been ready for what they encountered. They might not have even been accepted. Right. Because they weren't as savvy, like, in the first episode right. as they were at the end. So so this might be a, a mission statement for us as viewers, too, because, I mean, pay attention to what I said at the end of last episode. It's like, <laughs> I want to get to Amashu. I want, like, I want to get us, I want to get the story going. Yeah. So it's why I don't think this is just a, like, filler episode. It's mm-hmm. like, this is the writers telling the characters, but also telling us, like, in essence, like, relax, trust us. The journey is the show, mm. too. And it's sometimes, long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like, and don't just want to get to the next big 
the storm or the blue spirit or something like that, but like let the show happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's something like Zuko's story arc does as well. Like he always wants to get to that next mm-hmm. thing. And now he's like forced to sit and wait with Iroh. Which is also interesting thinking about this as we talked about a theme in last season was like the older people frustrated by mm. youth wanting things to just happen faster and faster, right? Things wanting the immediacy of youth. And who is the main audience for this show is youth, mm-hmm. right? So now it's like the creators are in that role Maybe in a in a much softer hippie wisdom way, telling us that. So I kind of like that. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sokka is focusing on where they're going still, I and love says, this. "Oh ma shoe." And Katara agrees, and she's like, "Okay, yeah, we need to go see King Boomy." And at that, <laughs> Chong forgetfully says, "Oh, King Boomy." Then you got to go to Omashu, and this is when Sokka first smacks his forehead. In in anger, in anguish, in everything, he's very irritated. Yep, just like like palm to forehead. Yep, yep. Uh, so Chong tells the crew, kind of through song, that there's this real legend. Uh, let, that- let, let, let's not skip past that line because because <laughs> Katara asks him, "Are are the stories you tell true, or are they legends?" And he says, "Yes." He says, "Yes, they are true legends." Yep. And it's like, again, I think that is a powerful thing. Like, like, mm. like, what are we, what are we aiming for here? Right? Like, like, and I think as a historian, those are, that's interesting. As yeah. somebody who's interested in literature, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, as somebody who watched the movie Mank this weekend, it's interesting to think about like, like, what are, what is, when we're, when we're telling stories, right? Like, like, what is the, the weight of truth and real versus the truth of a story. Even this goes back to Joseph Campbell. Mm. I, I, I'm, I'm bringing him up again, but but it's this idea of like, are these myths true? It's like they are true in what they teach you. Right. Right. And so, yes, they're true and they're real, but did they happen exactly as the myth says? Well, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a deeply profound statement. That is. That is. It reminds me. I mean, in this episode, we hear a little bit of origin story of Earthbenders as well. And it makes me think about creation stories in general Mm -hmm. and like truth drawn from creation stories and that they're sometimes seen as like myths but yeah there's some elements of them that we stick to and yeah so this true legend uh that chong is talking about is a secret cave that brings you to omashu quicker a little um uh, shortcut, and so the Nomad Band kind of—I wrote sloppily. Maybe you, maybe you I love enjoy. It. Yes, there, there's some. Okay, there, there, there's a thing that's great in music where there, it's so wrong, it's right, and that's what this is. And honestly, this song has been stuck in my head. It's good. It's called Secret Tunnel, and this morning I was like, "Secret Scouty" to my cat. Like it's just—it will get stuck in your head. So the they they start playing a song. Some of the hippies start dancing in the background. Um, kind of like maybe a, a drunken dancer at a concert. <laughs> sure, sure. It's a little Woodstocky. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, so the lyrics are, two lovers forbidden from one another, a war divides their people, and a mountain divides them apart. Built a path to be together. And then Chung goes, yeah, I forgot the next couple of lines. But then it goes, secret tunnel, secret tunnel, through the mountains, secret, 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 secret tunnel. It's a great jam. And Sokka says, I think we'll just stick with flying uh, we've dealt with the Fire Nation before. We know what we're doing. We would rather do that than go through some secret tunnel. 
And Hank says, yeah, and, and Appa hates going underground. And we need to do whatever make, makes Appa most comfortable. And then I think it's probably the funniest scene in the episode where they cut to Appa flying through the sky. The team has clearly gone off on their own trying to just get to Omashu the normal way. And they're being bombarded with fireballs from Fire Nation catapults. And Appa is like roaring and growling in the sky. Everyone's yelling. <laughs> People are screaming. So then it cuts to them walking back to the nomads um, who are just kind of camping in the forest. And Sokka, with soot all over his body from from the attack, says, secret love cave, let's go. <laughs> they are- like smoke is coming off of their bodies. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever makes Appa most comfortable, I guess. If those are the two options. So uh, then we get back to Zuko and Iroh. Zuko returns to Iroh, who is still sitting in front of the plant. And Zuko's fishing was very unsuccessful. On the end of this really long spear is this tiny, almost like a minnow-sized fish. So they don't really have food. And Iroh says, Zuko, remember that plant that I thought might be tea? And Zuko says, you didn't. And Iroh says, I did, and it wasn't. And so he turns around, and his f- his face is full of, like, hives and rashes. He looks terrible. He does. He looks real bad. And he's starting to itch all over his body. Yes. And he, like, as the scene goes, he, like, gets closer and closer to the ground, like, just almost laying on the ground, itching himself. And it startles Zuko, his face does. And Zuko, uh, or, or Iris says, when the, when the rash spreads to my throat, I will stop breathing. <laughs> he says it. Kind of ind- indifferently. It's just matter-of-factly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I could I could die. Um, but then he excitedly shows Zuko some pakui berries that are on a branch nearby. And he says... It's the branch he's scratching his back with. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And he says, these are known to cure the poison of the white jade plant. That or makaola berries that cause blindness. <laughs> and so Zuko grabs the branch um, in frustration and tosses it as Iroh continue to scratch the rashes all over his body. So so what we see from this is that Iroh <laughs> is like a great Zen master, right? He can accept his demise. He can accept the good or bad that comes to him. Yeah. But he's not a great survivalist. Right. I think he's taken that a little too far and he really needs Zuko to be like, no, you need some ointment. Yeah. But I, you also think about, you know, Iroh's had this like long life, this complicated, maybe he is just sort of embracing the like absurdity of it that it's yeah. like, you know what? If I if I die, I die. Yeah, and like maybe things will take care of themselves. And I do believe that like he actually uh we don't see his religious worldview, but that seems that seems fitting to him to that he does not get worked up about anything. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, isn't I mean he would even say, isn't it strange that this is how the dragon of the he doesn't say this, but this is how the dragon of the West meets his demise. Yeah. By drinking uh poisonous yeah, power. true. And I guess the only thing that he's really ever been angry about, like truly showing some negative emotion, is when people mess with the spirits. Mm-hmm. And that's what's keeping the whole world in its like mm-hmm. push and pull. Or when, you know. oh, 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 and when Zuko pushes him away f- for his father. True. <laughs> I yes. mean, like, like, right? <laughs> so, like, like those are, the, those are the, the pain points for him. Yeah. But, like, death, he's also experienced a lot of death in his life. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's. It, I just think it's. It's. It's really quick, but it's this fascinating picture of his his worldview, and I, I, I'm curious to see more of that potentially. Me too. Me too. It, it's very consistent with what we know about him. Oh yeah. Um. So Zuko's Zuko reasons that they need help for Iroh before he stops breathing, 
but because they're enemies of both the Earth Kingdom and fugitives of the Fire Nation, they're kind of in a pickle. And so Iroh goes, well, if the Earth Kingdom discovers us, we'll be killed. But if the Fire Nation discovers us, we'll be turned over to Azula. And then Zuko says, Earth Kingdom it is. <laughs> so they are choosing between two different right. <laughs> dangers as well, just death like the other crew. Death or his sister. And he's saying, uh, let's just go with death. Yep, yep, <laughs> let's risk exactly. that. Fire Nation versus Secret Tunnel. Secret Love Tunnel it is. So the gang now, we're back with them. Uh, the gang and the nomads are walking through the old earth, these like old earth kingdom ruins mm-hmm. uh, on the way to this mountain that has the tunnel, supposedly. And Sokka is impatient, asking how far away they are from the tunnel. And Chong says, actually, it's not just one tunnel. The lovers didn't want anyone to find out about their love. So they built a whole labyrinth. And Sokka flips out at this. Uh, but Lily says that if they trust in love, they can get through the maze, according to the curse. This and is such a great shot. <laughs> it is. Everyone keeps walking. And Sokka stands still until everyone is off the screen and then just flips out yeah freaks out has a tantrum yeah so to just get the visual he's at the front of this pack and it's like we're watching them walk in profile Mm -hmm. right and he stops and we see everybody just keep going and it's once the screen is cleared he flips out it's 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 such a beautiful shot it's so good and we we were talking about a labyrinth in a different episode right Yes, we were talking about the the labyrinth when we were talking about um, Daedalus and Icarus. Yeah, in the southern or northern air temple. Yeah, yeah. Um, this episode just feels very myth heavy in mm-hmm. general. So Absolutely. I'm glad that they're in, and and even like as we'll see, there's kind of unknown terrors in the labyrinth, which feels also like centaurs or whatever you might find yeah. like in a Greek labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, so the group makes it to the entrance of this cave. And it's kind of like large rock walls, um, and there's moss growing over the tunnel. So no one's been there for a long time, clearly. And there's ancient writing on a tablet above it. And Chong says, the curse says that only those who trust in love can make it through the caves. Otherwise, you'll be trapped in them forever. And Lily chimes in, and die. And Chong says, oh, yeah, and die. And then he was like, oh, my gosh, I forgot that part of the song. Or I remember it now. Um, and he does one dramatic strum of his lute and says, and die. Kind of power chord style. Yes. Yeah. In, the, in the front of the cave, it's it's uh, he's a rock star. And Sokka refuses to walk into a cursed labyrinth. But the nomads spot some smoke in the distance. And uh, Moku <laughs> calls it a big campfire. And the Aang gang says, no, that's the Fire Nation. They're on our trail. I love that they seem like oblivious, but they're the ones who are noticing things. Too. Yeah. Like that's that's such a great thing. Like like none of the Aang gang noticed that this pillar of fire behind or pillar of smoke behind them. Right. I guess you know. the hippies are much more present. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and so Aang says, well, so all you need to do is trust and love to get through these caves. And he looks at Katara as she's still watching, like, the billowing smoke in the distance. And there's a shot of, like, the wind blowing through her hair. And we know how Aang feels about her. So he says, we can make it. And um, Sokka then decides, okay, like, let's lead the gang and a very anxious Appa into this secret tunnel. Um, And then the Fire Nation tanks approach shortly after. Like, they're really very much right on their heels. And a soldier on one of the tanks says, hold on, hold on, it's too dangerous. Haven't you heard the song? <laughs> oh, I maybe, maybe, so hard. maybe Chong really is a rock star. <laughs> maybe. World renowned. But he would never say that, right? Because he he doesn't care about fame. Right. Could be. Yeah. 
could be. Um, so <laughs> the soldier says, haven't you heard haven't you heard about the song? Just close them in. The mountain will take care of the rest. They'll die inside, right? So the tanks shoot hooks into the top of the tunnel and they bring the walls crashing down. Again, just a reminder, kids show. No yeah. big deal. <laughs> the starving people on the inside <laughs> of these tunnels. Um, so the gang is then trapped in this dark cave and uh, Appa, we see him. Oh, it's such a sad moment. He's trying frantically to like dig through or climb up the rocks that had just tumbled down. Clearly, he is not a fan of being trapped into small places. And Katara pats and comforts him and Sokka tries to figure out a plan, as is usually what he's trying to do. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is this is a version of wise Sokka, right? He's being... Uh rational meticulous even uh methodical in his in sort of thinking how are we going to approach this yeah exactly and um so the nomads have five torches on them and uh each of them will last about two hours so uh lily and chong light them all at once and they say we can make it for 10 hours and Sokka is so frustrated and he grabs them and stomps four of them out and he says that's not how this works and um, so he grabs some parchment, and it was pretty smart of him. He starts mapping out where they've been, um, starting at the entrance of this cave. I love the the fact that they did the torch thing because it creates a ticking clock. Yep. Too. Yes, it's exactly. Not, it's, it's not just like, well, we'll be trapped in here, but you know, like, they have a certain amount of time, and they'll never get out then. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's also helpful to to realize how long they've been in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um so we cut then to an overhead shot of this picturesque Earth Kingdom village. It's like a traditional looking mm-hmm. agrarian kind of like we've seen a lot in the Earth Kingdom. And Iroh and Zuko are inside like a healing or therapy mm-hmm. studio. Yeah, it's a <laughs> like clin- little, clinic. Yeah. Almost. yeah. Um, and it, they're dressed in, in their Earth Kingdom clothes. So they do kind of fit in. Mm-hmm. And a young woman is tending to Iroh's rashes using this green ointment. Uh, and she's wearing hanbok, which is like the traditional Korean style um, dress. Oh, interesting. Yeah. If Mike and I both saw it and we were like, oh, my gosh, hanbok. Um, it's exactly like it. Like the animators didn't change anything. It, it looks like what those dresses look like. Um, so I wonder if there's parallels with the Earth Kingdom and maybe Korean history. That'll well. be interesting to track. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think there could be. We've talked about World War II. We've talked mm-hmm. about um, kind of like Imperial Japan. Um, so maybe there's some kind of elements that they're drawing from there. Uh, but um, the young woman says, you two must not be from around here. We know better than to touch the white jade, much less make it into a tea and drink it. And Iroh looks um, terrible. <laughs> his face is he even more worse. swollen. Yes. yes. <laughs> and then when you mix it with like the green ointment on his face, it's awful. So he laughs kind of awkwardly um, trying to come up with a story. Um, and he just goes, oh, <laughs> oops. And the young woman then asks them where they're traveling from. And Zuko stands up almost mechanically. Clearly, he's rehearsed this line. And he says, yes, we are travelers. And... The young woman, who we learn her name is Song, she asks them their names, and Zuko kind of stumbles, and he says, "I, uh, yes, I'm I'm Lee, and this is my uncle, um, Mushi. And Iroh twists his head around to Zuko and, like, glares at him, <laughs> unhappy with this so name choice. is there something, it should, why would Mushi be bad? I don't know. Okay, it just... No idea. I didn't know if, if there was something to read into yeah, that. I think it's so. a name, it's just maybe the sound of it. Okay. Not, not into... <laughs> Sounds like mushy, yeah. 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 Uh, so 
<laughs> then Iroh, wanting to jab back at Zuko, says, yes, my nephew was ma- named after my father, so we just call him Junior. And Zuko motions to, like, cut his neck, right? Like, he's like, you're dead, Iroh. Um, so Song is a really pleasant young woman, and she, like, invites them both over for dinner. She says, like, clearly you you don't have any food. You probably haven't eaten in a long time. Why don't you come over to my house? My mom makes great duck roast. And at that, Iroh is in. He's like, yes, where we, do you live? he needs food. And he wants, like, the best food he can find. Um, so they decide to go have dinner. Well, it's interesting because Zuko's reluctant, even though, like, part of why they came here was to find food. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's like that little minnow he caught isn't going to do the trick. So, uh, especially with, like, a picky eater like Iroh, I feel like Iroh needs, like, the best food. Yeah. Don't you think? So now we're back with the Aang gang, and um, Sokka is desperately trying to make sense of his map. He keeps turning it around in his hands. um, And he's frustrated that they keep meeting the same dead ends. And um, Chong offers some advice that no one asked for, and he says, we don't need a map. We just need love. And he points to Aang, and he says... That little guy knows it. And Aang says, yeah, but I wouldn't mind a map, too. And Sokka reckons that the only explanation for why they keep coming to these dead ends isn't because he's writing it down wrong, but perhaps the tunnels themselves are moving. And that's not a ridiculous thing in a world where earthbenders exist. No, it seems like a true legend, doesn't it? Yeah. And so then we go to nighttime in the Earth Kingdom village, and they're at the home of Song and the mother, um, Iroh and Zuko are. And Song Mother says, my daughter tells me that you are refugees. We were once refugees ourselves. And Song said, when I was a little girl, the Fire Nation raided our farming village. All the men were taken away. This was the last time I saw my father. So they're all sitting around like at a dinner table together. um, And Zuko kind of sets down his food and he becomes really intense um, and moved by Song's story. And he empathizes with her and he says, I haven't seen my father in years. And Song asks if his father is fighting in the war, and Iroh stops eating his noodles mid-bite, kind of anxious about what Zuko's going to say. And Zuko says, yeah. So then we cut back to the cave, and Chong, again, unhelpfully, says, the tunnels, they're a-changing. That's a Bob Dylan reference, it is right? A Bob, it is a clear Bob Dylan okay. reference. Okay. <laughs> I figured as much. Yeah. Um and because because it, they it's important that he says the tunnels they are a changing. <laughs> yeah. I wanted him to sing it. Yeah. Uh, um. So Bob Dylan's very litigious. So <laughs> no. <laughs> so, um, Chong continues and says it must be the curse. I knew we shouldn't have come down here. And Chong kind of finally loses his chill. And Sokka begins to complain, basically like you said we should come here, and Katara hushes him. And we see Momo fly off of Sokka's shoulder as the gang listens and they hear something again approaching in the dark. They're all paying attention to Momo this episode, hearing any of these dangers coming in. And we see a humongous bat that we learn is a wolf bat uh, fly at the gang. And Sokka uses a torch to kind of keep the wolf bat from landing or attacking them. Like this thing is opposite? Maybe not that it's big. It's a dog size. Though. Yeah, that's true. Wolf, Ima- yeah, wolf imagine, size. Yeah, yeah. A, uh, yeah, imagine a dog with wings and... That's pretty ferocious. Right. And it's not just a bat flying through. Like, it is it's, aggressive. It stops, turns around, and looks at him. Right. Exactly. So, I got to ask you, you're you're pretty pro-animal here. How are you feeling about the wolf bats? I like bats. Wolves, wolves scare me, but I like bats. I'm asking about the wolf bat specifically. Because <laughs> these are not portrayed as animals that are real embraceable. You know, yeah. They, um... 
you know, maybe they they just haven't seen humans in a long time. Clearly, yeah. Yeah, okay. and uh, I give them some credit. Okay. I don't know. I didn't think they were like antagonistic. They're just animals. Right. They're not attractive, cuddly animals by no. any stretch of the imagination. Though. No, but they're probably like, I want to be off by myself. Why are these people coming in here with lights and okay. a, a big, a big oppa? Okay. I, I I am terrified of them, but that's okay. <laughs> This I mean, if it was of, me, this is the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> if it was me in Sokka's shoes, I would probably say something very differently. But you know, from okay. here, okay. seems fine. Okay. Um. So, so again, like Sokka is taking his torch and kind of ushering, like shooing the bat away and screaming, <laughs> doing it very frantically. And um, part of the flame from the torch lands on Appa's foot. So then Appa begins, I guess, stampeding around the mm-hmm. tunnel. Which we've never really seen him. We've seen him get burned before, but we've never seen him like out of control. Like yeah, this. I think it's like that plus claustrophobia. Yeah, I think it's That's the anxiety really, of being in the cave. Yeah, 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 really getting to him. And he blindly runs into the cave walls and he causes the walls then to crumble. Um, and it separates the group into two. I was very curious which combinations we'd get. And I was very happy with the outcome. So we have Aang, who he used airbending to kind of save everyone, push some to one side and him and and Katara to the other. So on one side is him and Katara and Appa. And on the other side is Sokka and the Nomads. And Momo. And Momo. Now, hats off to the, the, the writers on this, because this is such a brilliant way to pretty organically create two different groups in these tunnels to approach this in different ways. And mm-hmm. and like you said, to, in some ways to to produce the uh, the most interesting storylines we can get out of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Sokka runs to the wall of rocks and he's trying to shovel with his hands the stones away so that he can get to the other side to his friends. Um, and Chong appears over his shoulder and says, it's no use. We're separated. But at least you have us. And Sokka is just living his worst nightmare. So, like, even more, he starts screaming and trying to grab the rocks to get out. Uh, Because let's think about this realistically for a moment. Okay. Right? Like, the likelihood in this scenario is that none of them make it out. So, his... The rest of his short life is spent with these people who he does not like. No. Right? And who annoy him and... Right? Yes. And even if one of the groups gets out... That means that our our gang is now divided, right? Like, again, mm-hmm. this is a show, so we feel like there's going to be a resolution. But, like, this is real peril for our story. Yeah. Oh, man. Imagine, like, episodes and episodes with Sokka and the Nomads. <laughs> I want that. I kind of do, too. <laughs> I kind of want that. Uh, so so um, then we go back to Zuko. And you know what? One more thing, though. There is nothing more annoying to me than when people are singing but like can't get the hint that no one else wants them to sing are you are, yes do you you're feel totally that same right way? it's the it's it's the person who like like um sometimes you're having a perfectly fun evening and then somebody gets the guitar out and then it's like okay now this is like i guess this is what we're all doing now because yes. you're not really allowed to have a conversation it's like they they have sort of grabbed the mic for the room and and there's the other thing is like whenever an instrument is introduced the person who can play that instrument is very want to give it up. Mm-hmm. Um, the more annoying version for me is the person who can't walk by a piano without playing it. Um, yeah. That that's a person that I I'm on record as uh, saying we need to we need to avoid that person. <laughs> so if you're listening and you can play the piano, 
know that um, some restraint is appreciated. <laughs> so I love the piano. I love to listen to people play the piano. But know that if you can't walk by a piano without playing it, you need to take a deep look oh, into yourself. Man. Or like, have you ever been on a road trip and with like, so maybe like road trip with family is different, but mm-hmm. road trip with friends where friends are singing the whole way. Mm-hmm. I cannot. I cannot. Because it's like, okay, this is fun for the first like 10 minutes, but like. Yep. No, I don't need to hear you sing, like, your favorite songs yep, yep. for four hours. Especially, like, if you're listening to the radio and they're singing along, it's like, those are pros. Like, they, they got it. You, they actually don't need an, another... Yes. They chose to not have another background vocalist here. Oh, and with Sokka and the Nomads, it's like, he is their audience. Yep. So yep. he is the one... The pressure is on him to respond to the things that they are singing in the moment. At the same time, this is a pro Chong and the Nomads <laughs> podcast. True. Uh, it's true. I love them. At the same time, can empathize with Sokka. (laughs) So, okay. So we go back to Zuko. Um, They had finished dinner and he's sitting outside of Song's house, um, cross-legged on the deck. It's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. The whole whole rest of our our scene with um, Zuko and Iroh is really pretty. There's like... um, Like fireflies? Yeah. Yeah, And it's like really deep, dark greens and blues. It makes me excited about being in the Fire Nation. Because I remember how beautiful a lot of this stuff... Not Fire Nation, sorry. Earth Earth Kingdom. Earth Kingdom, yeah. Yeah, me too. Uh, So Song comes out and asks to join him. And she says she understands without him even needing to say it, right? Like, she understands that the Fire Nation has hurt him before. And so she sits behind him, or beside him cross-legged too, and reaches for the scar on his face. And Zuko, without even moving his head towards her, grabs her hand and puts it down. But he doesn't do it aggressively. He just doesn't want her to touch his mm-hmm. face. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, and it's also sort of a version of we're not going to talk about this. Right, yeah. right. It's privacy. Yep. Yeah. And Song rolls up her pant leg and shows burns that, and scars that she has on her own ankle. She said, it's okay. They've hurt me too. And Zuko's eyes widen and, and kind of look at her with pity or sadness, empathy, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we go back to Sokka, Momo, and the Nomads, and they're walking through the tunnels. And Chong is singing happily, lightheartedly, and playing his lute. And so the song he's singing, again, is one that's being made up in the moment. He's singing, oh, don't let the cave-in get you down. Don't let the falling rocks turn your smile into a frown. When the tunnel is at its darkest, that's when you need a clown. Don't let the cave-in get you down, Sokka. I loved that song. Singing to Sokka. Yeah. And Sokka is so irritated, and he only has Momo to commiserate with. So then we go back to Aang and Katara, and they're on the other side trying to find an exit. Um, and they think they found one as they're going through the tunnel, but it's blocked by this large, ornate stone. And so Katara and Aang, like, try to push it. I don't know why Aang didn't just er- er- airbend, but, you know. Narratively, he didn't because of what we get instead. Because this we is one get... of my favorite. It's just, this is like like Sokka saying, or excuse me, this is like Appa saying, like, hold my drink for a second. Yes, he's like, stand aside. <laughs> and so Katara and Aang move and Appa like starts pawing at the ground and then charges into it. He is not going to be in that cave much longer. And uh, so he breaks through the stone pretty easily. And on the other side isn't an exit, but they realize it's a tomb. And so Aang and Katara walk down this long flight of stairs that goes deeper into this big kind of cavernous tomb. And light from Aang's torch shows two caskets. And Aang says it must have been the two lovers from the legend. And Katara um, grabs... So so at this point, this reminds me of um, uh, 
a little bit of Lord of the Rings when they go into the mines of Moria, where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah there's all these stories we've heard. And it's like, and now we're understanding the reality of some of the stories. Yeah. I, I really, I, I loved this. This from this part on, I'm, I'm, I loved it. What's that movie from the eighties where they're in, um, they're trying to find treasure and there's like pirates. Goonies. Yes, thank you. This that was like your era, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It, this also reminded me of some Goonies humor. <laughs> to be fair, when you said what's that movie from the eighties, I was about to say Goonies, and I said I'll let you go a little bit longer. You, yes, but you got there. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, I knew I knew it was Goonies from what's that movie from the eighties because I was like, yeah, where they're in caves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it reminds me of when they go into that big treasure mm-hmm. room too, like mm-hmm. huge and yeah. And the humor is kind of similar. Oh, yeah. And these these writers are probably born in the 80s. I would think so, yeah. yeah. They're Goonies kids. Yeah. Anyway, that was a random tangent. <laughs> so the Katara grabs the torch and um, she leads it along this platform that's holding the two caskets. And she says that there's pictures along it. And the pictures are telling the story of Chong's true legend, right? And so then we get Katara narrating the tale as she's reading. And it's played out for us in these kind of traditional watercolor paintings or, or just yeah, yeah yeah i will say um my favorite part of the eight movie harry potter franchise mm. is in, I, yes. in episodes or in in the seventh film when they do the tale of the three brothers and it's done like in these ink drawings i could watch hours of that in fact i think i'm gonna pitch a netflix show in the middle of this <laughs> podcast if netflix just did greek mythology like that Oh. I would love it. And they could be as short or as long as they needed to be. It's gorgeous. And I just love storytelling like yeah. that. So when, when they cut to these drawings and Katara telling the story, I was just like, just make it make it an hour long. I will sit and watch myths oh, and legends this way. Absolutely. Okay, that's that's also my most favorite visual part of Harry Potter. Like, what if they did the labyrinth with the like flying wings and what was that called? Oh, yeah. Uh, Icarus and Daedalus. I will never and, yeah. remember the yeah. name of it. No, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but like that in that style, yeah, gorgeous. So I was, yeah, I was into this. And every time they talk about myths, whether it's like in the Great Divide, the show mm-hmm. that should not be named, or this episode, it's always like in a fun style. And yeah. I like that too. So um, Katara narrates that uh, the two the two lovers met on top of the mountain that divided the two villages. The villages were enemies, so they could not be together. But their love was strong, so they found a way. The two lovers learned earthbending from the badger moles. They became the first earth earthbenders. I loved this idea too because this goes back to what we saw at the water um, at the the South Pole or excuse me the North Pole where they talked about like where the power came from and it was like mm-hmm. oh they learned it from these spirits and here they learned it from these other natural beings. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's so cool that there are origin stories for these powers. Exactly, and it makes you wonder about. The origin stories for other powers. Exactly. Because we don't know fire or air yet, right? No, we know fire is somehow connected to like the comet and things like that, but we don't entirely know what that's about. I hope they tell us. I think they we, will. I think they will because they've they've opened up this um this world of telling these origin tales and myths, I'm sure we will. Yeah. Now again, is this a true story even in this world that they learned it from them? It's a real story. Yeah. But what does it mean that they learned it? Like that, uh, What I love is it doesn't matter. It's not like they have to show us a picture of these badgers like teaching yeah. school on how to do this. But it's like somehow they learned something from these creatures who also manifest this power. I loved it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so, so they became the first earthbenders. They built elaborate tunnels so that they could meet secretly. Anyone who tried to follow them would be lost forever in the labyrinth. But one day the man didn't come. 
He died in the war between their villages. Devastated, the woman unleashed a terrible display of her earthbending power. She could have destroyed them all, but instead she declared the war over. Both villages helped her build a new city where they would live together in peace. The woman's name was Oma, and the man's name was Shu. The great city was named Omashu as a monument to their love. Origin story. I want to believe that Oma is also like an early avatar. Ooh, yeah. Because here she is bringing peace and balance, right? Like, And she has great power. She could have destroyed right, everything. Right, Ooh! Like I want to believe, because this, who knows how old this story is, right? Like, yeah. Like, like maybe this is the, I don't know. I would I would love to know that because that would also mean that she is Aang. Oh, dope. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, I'm projecting a lot on there, but I'm open to that and I would love for that to be. That'd be sweet. Even yeah. if they never mention it again, I'm going to believe that that is true. <laughs> so um, then Aang and Katara turn around after they're done reading this story and they see a giant statue of the two lovers kissing uh, behind them with an inscription underneath that says, love is brightest in the dark. So then we go back to Sokka, uh, trying again to read his map uh, with no success. And Moku, the nomad with the drum, said, Oh, great. Your plans have led us to another dead end. And Sokka says, At least I'm thinking of ideas, Moku. Like, very helpful. And Chong says, Wait a minute. We're thinking of ideas? Because I've had an idea for like an hour now. And Sokka's infuriated. But Chong says, If love is the key out of here, then all we need to do is play a love song. And Sokka smacks his forehead. So then we go back to Aang and Katara. And Katara says she might have a crazy idea, too. Um, an idea to escape and suggests shyly that maybe they could kiss. So we got a katara Ang ship moment here. Mm-hmm. And Aang is surprised and says, us uh, kissing? And Katara's like, yeah, see, it was, it was a crazy idea. But Aang is very taken by this idea and says, us kissing? And Katara begins laughing at herself, and she's like, can you even imagine? But then Aang sheepishly giggles and is like, yeah, I, I definitely, like, wouldn't want to kiss you. And Katara's like, well, wow, I didn't realize it was such a horrible option. And Aang said, no, 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 I mean, if it was a choice between kissing you and dying, like, he just keeps digging himself into right. a deeper hole. Which is so funny because it's the thing he would most want to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's like, she read my mind. Um, but Katara's offended and she kind of like does a uh, kind of sound and uh, <laughs> storms off. Ng tries to recover still and he says, I'm saying I would rather kiss you than die. That's a compliment. Um, so then we're back with the nomads and they're singing, even if you're lost, you can't lose the love because it's in your heart. And Sokka walks down the tunnel with his head, his hand just permanently placed on his forehead and Momo's ears start to perk up on a sound behind them. So now, back at Iroh uh, and Zuko, and Iroh's thanking Song and her mother for the hospitality and the dinner that they had. And Song's mother says that she's grateful to see somebody eat her food with such gusto. And Iroh said, (laughs) much practice, and pats his belly. And he takes some leftovers. And he looks at Zuko and he says, Junior, where are your manners? You need to thank these nice people. And so Zuko kind of turns slightly towards them, like gives a little bow and says thank you. And Song calls out to him and says, I know you don't think there's any hope left in the world, but there is hope. The Avatar has returned. And Zuko just says, I know. And so then Zuko and Iroh walk through the gate of their yard and um, Zuko stops and sees an ostrich horse that's tied up, clearly owned by Song. 
and he starts to um, untie it and take it. And Iroh says, what are you doing? They have just showed you great kindness. And Zuko says, well, they're about to show us a little more kindness. And he's like, are you coming with me or not? And so Iroh begrudgingly joins Zuko on the ostrich horse. And Song sees them right off. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it felt in some ways, were it not for our gang in the tunnels, like this felt like it should have been the end of the episode. Yeah. But we need to resolve the, the uh, that other the other thing. So I almost wish they would have pushed this a little bit further back in the episode. Like mm. if this had been the closing, it would have just although th- this this episode ends with a hammer, so uh, they can't. Right. But but this this in and of itself is a is is such an interesting melancholy but satisfying uh mm-hmm resolution to this right i i love the idea of song saying essentially that the avatar is hope yeah and for zuko the avatar has been hope mm. and now he doesn't even know that that's true for him anymore yeah because let's say he captured ang then what right <laughs> right like 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 he yeah so so th- i think that that line hit really hard and then this whole this idea of like what is what is my relationship to these people going to be and the fact that he takes what appears to be their only yeah. uh, you know their 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 only animal which is i presume key to their livelihood right mm-hmm. um yeah it's it i i'm curious to see when next we see Zuko and Iroh cuz they're done for this episode mm mm-hmm. mhm Will they still have that animal? And how long will that animal be with them? And is yeah. there going to be significance to that? There better be. Because otherwise, that's just a weird, like, I, it's not that I don't like it, but it's a it's a, it's a, it's a very dark little turn at the end of this if it ends up being like, oh, yeah, and then that thing just isn't part of this anymore. Like, like I, it'll be interesting if that serves as sort of this albatross for him now Mm. that where he's like constantly reminded of them you know does this mean does he have any qualms about this does he circle back to them yeah is there a moment where he comes back to save them like like i'm very curious like like it feels they didn't need to put that in the episode so it feels like this is going to be i'm predicting this is going to be an albatross for him that he's Mm going to constantly be reminded of them and thinking about them I need to come back. Yeah. And even, yes, like mem- or realizing that he burned, like the Fire Nation burned them again mm-hmm. through him and wondering, because so far in this season, I'm like, oh, I love Zuko. Like he has really turned a new leaf. But now it seems like back to old Zuko. This so like, is he going to be. feels like one of the worst things he's yeah, done. Yeah. Like, is he going to be progressively becoming more like this? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, so we go back to Katara and Aang, and they realize that they're about to run out of light on their torch. And so Katara puts her hand on Aang's while he's holding the torch, and they kind of look at each other and slowly get closer without really saying much. And it seems like they're about to kiss. I don't know if they actually do or not because the lights... I don't think so. Yeah, the lights turn... Like, the light of the torch fades, and they're in complete darkness. And then they look around them, and there's crystals on the walls and the ceilings. Um and they're glowing and they're showing only one direction out, right? So like they can just follow those those crystals. Um so we never really see if the two of them kiss or not. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some people believe they did, some it people It is it not. is a brilliant idea though as the torch is dying to like make sure we're holding on to each other because 
Otherwise, we'll have to find each other in the dark. Oh, true. So I was like, oh, that's really smart. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking romantically. I was really? just thinking like, oh, pra- just at oh. first when she reached out to him just to be like, that's actually really smart. And then uh, obviously, yeah. I was only thinking of this as like a smoochy time. I'm still trying to get out of the cave. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So uh, back to Sokka and the Nomads. Um, Momo leaps off of Sokka's shoulder because he had heard or sensed some danger nearby. And we see a dozen of the the terrifying wolf bats fly toward them out of the darkness. But they're not flying at them. They're flying above them, like past them. And so Chong's (laughs) – and and Sokka's screaming and smacking at the air again. And Chong's like, hey, you saved us, Sokka. And Sokka's like, no, they weren't trying to – they weren't trying to attack us. They were trying to get away from something. And so the ground then rumbles until part of the wall beside them bursts open and then another part bursts open across the way. And two badger moles, probably like three or four times bigger than Appa. Yeah, these are these are like the maybe hi- the biggest things we've seen. They're like the height of the cave, right? Because they're yeah. the ones digging through it, right, presumably. Right, right. So um, they're massive badger moles and they surround the crew and they use their paws to earthbend. I didn't know that animals could earthbend. Have we seen that? Like animals no. do any bending? No, but but we did but know the legend. we did know that that they supposedly learned from them. So yes, so it makes me wonder about some of these like super super animals. Like, are they do they have yeah powers to do things? The some of them, yeah. Or like, are they a part of the spirit world or or something? I don't know. Well, that could be too. I mean, these could be. I mean, because these are the size of like the haybai, you mm-hmm. know. So like. Although there's nothing to indicate that these are spirit creatures, except are these the are these the same badger moles from ancient mm. legend? Like, are there just these two giant badger moles who live in this mountain? And this is where the fact that the tunnels could change actually becomes real, because it could just be these badger moles are moving constantly throughout, so the labyrinth is always changing. Yeah. And they're opening and closing doors. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're, they're pretty scary, pretty big, pretty aggressive. And like one of their claws is like the size of Sokka himself, mm-hmm. right? So the badger moles, um, use their earth bending to trap in the nomads and Sokka. And it seems like they're aggressive. They're going to attack. Um, and Sokka is like, uh, he falls to the ground and he's kind of like crab walking <laughs> backwards, right? To try to escape from one of the badger moles approaching. And he accidentally hits with his hand the loot laying on the ground. And the string, the sound of the string like calms the badger moles. Like they're kind of interested in it. And Chong yells from the side, hey, those things are music lovers. And so Sokka starts to strum the same chord. And he's like, I got to sing a song. So he sings, Badger Mole's coming towards me. Come on, guys, help me out. And so then Chong and the Nomads begin to play their own instruments. And actually, the song sounds really good. It does. I was I was a fan. And they sing, <laughs> the big bad Badger Moles who open the tunnels, hate the wolf bats, but love the sounds. And uh, so they're able to calm through a love song, which was Chong's idea mm-hmm. from an hour before. And Aang and Katara then, they're holding hands and they're facing each other and they realize that they found this map in the crystals for a way to get out. And so um, so they um, realize that the secret tunnels, the, the two lovers just put their lights out and then they could get through the tunnels and find each other. And so they hug. They're like happy that they are freed. And Aang begins to try to say something like maybe 
reflect on the almost kiss or right. the kiss, whatever right. it was. But Katara is too interested in escaping and she starts running towards the exit and says, let's go. Which is why I think they don't kiss because they would have. If, if they didn't exactly do it, they don't need to address it. Like the That's two true. of them don't need to address it with each other. If they did, this now becomes an elephant in the room. Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, so they find the exit and Appa collapses into the like onto the ground and he's like basking in the sun. This Very much like an awesome. overturned turtle yes. as well. It's like he reaches up to the heavens and then just falls back on his back and is soaking it oh, in. Again, if he could talk, it'd be like, thank God we got right. out of there. And Aang and Katara um, are just about to worry about whether Sokka's going to get out uh, when they hear rumbling and then the two badger moles... Uh, then storm through the walls of the mountain kind of right by the exit and Sokka and Momo and the nomads are riding on their backs. So I guess they sang songs through the tunnel to get out, sang love songs. And um, Sokka runs up to Katara and said, how did you get out? And Aang goes, just like the legend says, we let love lead the way. And Sokka's like, really? We let huge ferocious beasts lead our way. And then Momo flies up to Appa, my favorite, I think actually my favorite moment of this episode. <laughs> Where uh, he flies up to Appa and starts, like, chatting with him and, like, telling him this animated story with his hands, like, or with his paws, I guess, um, explaining what, all the things that happened inside the cave. And Appa just, like, sits down and starts listening to his friend. And then um, Katara asks what, so- uh, what made Sokka's forehead so red. And Chong kind of leans in next to Sokka and says, nobody react to what I'm about to tell you. I think that kid might be the avatar. Pointing is, I thought at first he was talking about Sokka, but he's like pointing over his shoulder right. at Aang. That's such a funny, <laughs> funny joke. And uh, that's, so Sokka does one more smack of his forehead and we learn why his forehead is red. Uh, so then Aang, <laughs> Aang asks the other nomads if they're going to come with them to Amashu and they say, nope. And Aang says, okay and that's like right. the end of their interaction except for chong gives some like parting goodbye to Sokka, and he says i hope you learned a little something about not letting the plans get in the way of the journey our our statement here and he hugs him and Sokka's like just just play your songs and so the nomads walk off um and playing the the same line from before even if you lo- you're lost you can't lose the love because it's in your heart so Resolution, they're climbing up the mountain, the Aang gang made it through the tunnel, it's a shortcut, and they're nearing Omashu quicker than they thought. And as they're hiking up the hill, Sokka says, the journey was long and annoying, but now you get to see what it's really about, the destination. I present to you the Earth Kingdom city of, and he's about to say Omashu, but he trails off as he summits the peak, because in the distance is the Fire Nation emblem on top of the city fortress walls of Omashu. And like Omashu is in smoke. Um, so clearly it has been taken over. Yes. And that's so the this, end. This is the real hammer at the end of this episode then. Yep. So big themes, big ideas, big lessons from this uh, this episode. I have some anxiety. Like what's happened to Boomy? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like what are they going to do? Well, and, and how did they overpower him? Because he seemed... Yes. If I'm if I'm listing the most powerful people I've seen, I mean I would say Aang just because of raw power potential. Um, number two is Boomy. I put I put yeah. Boomy ahead of um, ahead of Iro, mm. even though Iro seems to be capable of anything. Like Boomy really does, and and Boomy is is as old as Aang. 
like mm. and is a, and is so powerful and i just presume masters like that only grow more powerful yeah so he's also wickedly intelligent exactly so like i'm curious too i wonder even if he is like hurt or imprisoned i feel like he is somebody who would be doing that for the long game mm-hmm. don't you think yeah yeah like he knows that something's gonna happen or he knows that ang is maybe on the way or- right and this is a fortress city yeah so like how i don't even know how you get into yeah except that we know for for example with the the water tribe in the north we learned oh there are there are weaknesses to that power so it makes mm. me wonder like okay well how do you what is the what is the key strengths and weaknesses of the of the earth uh of the earth kingdom and their powers because I know Bossing say doesn't you know hasn't fallen and it's this powerful thing but like I felt that way about Amashu Amashu just I don't know. Like it's so so yeah, so like that one that's really fascinating and what I love is we've learned we are Adamashu. Yeah. Now, it might be that this is one of those things where the journey has quickly brought us right to Amashu, but now it's telling us but you we can't go there. We're not staying, yeah. Yeah, so I I don't know it seems like like if I was in their shoes, job 1 is really is to find Bumi. Mm-hmm. Is to find out what happened and is he in exile from Amashu? Is he imprisoned in Amashu? Is he dead? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's 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 stunning mm-hmm. uh, to that 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 revelation. I was not remotely prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely a big a big sort of theme idea, which is propelling us forward. I think another one is what we talked about with uh, with um, Iroh and Zuko, mm-hmm. like. Um, what is the what is the meaning of this encounter? Right, because it is it is very intentionally done, but it is unclear what exactly that means. It, it feels yeah. like it's it's full of meaning, but the meaning is unclear. So, like I said, if they don't touch that, it that feels very strange. Mm-hmm. So I have a feeling. Um, Sokka's not going to let that encounter. I assume Zuko's not going to let that encounter. He's not going to be able to shake that encounter with Song right. and her mother. But and that's going to keep haunting him. I don't know that Iroh can either. Like, he was very disturbed yeah. by what Zuko did. And Zuko's done a lot of terrible things. And Zuko's done terrible things to Iroh. But I don't think it's enough for Iroh to feel that way. Mm. Because we already know Iroh feels that way. Yeah. What we need to know is what does that do to Zuko? Right. Um, And... Because that's going to tell us where his identity lies, where his loyalty lies. Because mm. we don't know those things. We know that he has given some things up, but is he giving up the his royal his royal kind of uh, aristocratic position to now become a bandit and a thief? Mm. It doesn't seem like that's the arc we would take him on. So, and it doesn't seem like Iroh would allow it, right? Right. right. And and just and like a nihilist, and it's like and you know, and it's just like I. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm so fascinated, and I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get them in the next episode. Again, I, I'm, I'm trying oh. to predict. Well, because I think I wouldn't be surprised. I would be okay if we didn't. If it came back in two episodes, and that was a weighty part of it, mm. because maybe what we need is for Zuko to have some distance from that encounter to really Sit have it, it weigh on him. Exactly. Yeah. So I would be okay. I would be okay story wise with that. Mm. 
I mean, the other obvious big theme is one that we we talked about pretty organically here, which is the sort of the journey brings its own rewards. The journey sometimes is the des- is the destination. That that is where the learning happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we we have actually learned a lot about uh, earthbending. Mm-hmm. We've learned uh, a lot. We've learned about the origins of Amashu. Mm-hmm. Um, we've learned a lesson about. Uh, kind of letting go mm-hmm. right like that because that was ultimately what chong was sort of saying is like you have to let go of this drive to always get where you're going right and and to be like you are missing um i mean we made a lot of music references right i mean one of the famous uh <laughs> one of the famous john lennon quotes is, is life is what happens is what happens when you're busy making plans mm. right and like that's kind of chong's mo right there's yeah. like it's like even like even in the cave, it, like this is an opportunity to to sing, right? This is an opportunity to keep doing what you're doing, to keep living even in these dark moments, mm-hmm. right? Instead of obsessing on the darkness around you, yeah. Um, and and you know, and there in 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 the the version of getting through that we see with uh, Katara and Aang, it really is embracing the darkness is the way to the light, right? And I don't mean darkness as evil, but the darkness is like, it, it, okay, it reminds me of the, um, in in the first Harry Potter book, the, what do they call, is it Devil's Snare? Is that the stuff that, the weeds that they're in? Yeah. And it's like, and what is the key to getting out of that is to let go, right? Mm. If you relax and let go, you, so it's, it's a sort of like that, right? It's like, if we. If you fight back. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to overcome you. Exactly, right? Which is a lot, like a lesson water would teach you. Oh yeah. Right? You know, water is this powerful thing because you because it is so loose and free, mm-hmm. right? And it can shape canyons and mountains, right? So, at any rate, like I actually think um and this is why I think this is a, this is actually a very deep episode. Mm-hmm. Um what I'm curious about is how long lasting are these lessons? I hope I hope beyond hope that even if it's just for a cameo we see these nomads walking through again, singing oh, a song. Me too. I want, I, I like, I want them back. I don't want them all the time, <laughs> but I want them back because I actually think this is a story overarching. The uh, Avatar is a story about the many teachers of Aang, mm. right? The many people who teach Aang and Katara and Sokka, and I think, I mean, as as comic reliefy as these nomads are, and as Chong is, like. There, he's a real teacher. I mean, he yeah. he may even be a real master of a kind. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm maybe way too pro Chong, the, the master of chill. Yeah, yeah, but I think that this is a show that maybe needs a little bit of that, and these are characters that maybe uh, I don't think Aang necessarily needs that, but but increasingly I do think Sokka and Katara might need that. Yeah, and and Zuko gets that from his master, mm-hmm. the master of chill, Iroh. Mm-hmm. So like Aang and Katara and Sokka could use a little dose of yeah. it too. Yeah, wow. And when you chill, you can just sit and have a great conversation. And speaking of great conversations, we have one for you. Segway. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this interview was delightful. It was awesome. Oh, loved uh, it. Yeah. So without further ado, uh, let's uh, let's let's jump over to our interview with Nancy Alcacera. We are joined by Nancy Alcacera, who is a junior at Bethel? Sophomore. Sophomore at Bethel. Uh, and what are you majoring in? 
English and psychology. Okay, English and psychology. And you are a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yes. Uh, and I learned this, I think, the night we were doing uh, freshman advising. Um, you were helping out, uh, helping us with some of the freshmen. And somehow it came up and I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh, because also, you also work as a TA with me. So um, uh, I'm sort of curious, when did you first watch Avatar? Like, like what was your introduction to this show? Um... I honestly don't remember. I know it was definitely um, one of my older sisters who got me into it. I think I was like, it was right when it first came out, maybe like 2008, 2007. Oh, you like, were really seven. young. Yeah, I was like a little baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember we would just watch it all the time. We would like watch it over and over together on Netflix. Um but I don't remember, like, how specifically we got into it. So your experience of it was as a streaming show, though. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you, so you could watch it in order. Right. Okay. Right. Because, I mean, when, I mean, this initially, I think it actually first came out in 2005, I think, which would have been yeah. pre-Netflix. It was a Nickelodeon show. So I'm, I'm curious to find, um, when I encounter people who watched it on TV, did you watch it on TV? No, or I streaming? was streaming. Yeah. Okay. I was like right at the start. Well, I am so old. Like, oh. I just, <laughs> So so okay so so what was what what drew you to the show like like what brought you back? Oh, um, I honestly think it was just the the nostalgia with the show, absolutely, and the fact that it was like a bonding thing between me and my my older sister. Um, and so even when it came out again recently, it was like don't watch it without me. Like we have to do it together. Um. And I think it was just the whole, like, character and the story arc that it was just, like, nothing we'd ever seen before. And it was just so cool. Um, so how old would you have been in, like, 2008, 2009? Um, like, seven or okay. eight. So would this have been your introduction to, like, a, a serialized show? A show that, like, has a an arching narrative over many episodes or were were you watching things like that before? Um, I think mainly what I was watching was Hannah Montana and like Wizards of Waverly Place. So it was never anything as like deep and incredible like this show. Um, And those you can like watch one off, right? Yeah. 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 And you're you're not like that invested, you know? (laughs) I watched those before too, (laughs) but I was too old. (laughs) So, um, so what 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 is your favorite part about coming back to it beyond just nostalgia? So like is there a certain character that you identify with or that you really enjoy or someone maybe from when you were young like I know when I first watched it there were characters that I really liked and now the second time around I'm like, "Oh, I actually have shifted my preference mm-hmm. for like who who is my favorite." Do you have anything like that? Um Honestly, I think it's always been Zuko. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was the one that I always went back to just because his arc is so, like, complex. Mm. Um, and honestly, it would also be Appa. I think oh. that was one of the things, just the... Yes. Like, how, like, intimate you can get with the animals in the show. Um, it was just so cool. And it was something that always, like, oh, Appa, I know where that show's from. I know where he's from, you know? Yeah, he's iconic. Yeah. 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 I think about this episode for this week um, and how 
at the end of it, um, they come out of the cave and Appa and Momo have been separate the whole time. And then they reunite and there's this split second scene where they're like Momo is talking to Appa about like what he went through and Appa's like sitting and listening. Yeah. It's so sweet. And like they didn't need to throw that in there. But yeah, the, like the animals are very much characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think that part specifically is so cool because you can see how he like, he's like sitting and then he like lays down on his paws and it's just. It's adorable. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They're buddies. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, the, and you get a lot of, like, great nonverbal, mm-hmm. I guess, acting is what I would, like, right? Like, like, you know, and and what's interesting is you also, I think the show does that well, even with the human characters, mm-hmm. the, their nonverbals, some of those things are really, in, are, are really, uh, really interesting. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot on this show about how this is a, how Avatar is a show about sort of the families that you create, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because this is, these are... Whether it's Zuko, whether it's Sokka and Katara, whether it's Aang, right? These are all versions of orphaned children, right? And, um, and, and they're building these sort of family relationships. And I think it's so interesting how Momo and Appa are, um, they're not pets. They're part of that family. And, and I love the, I love the Sokka Appa relationship. <laughs> I think that that's, that's one that has grown, um, grown over time where I think, you know, initially he was sort of, um, kind of, playfully insulting uh appa a lot i mean uh, kind of like a like a han solo chewbacca sorry i star wars references are only <laughs> i have right kind of like that but 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 i feel like more and more and i have this feeling again i'm only through episode two of season two i have this feeling that that relationship is going to continue oh, to grow the, the sokka appa relationship it is a blossoming bromance <laughs> don't you think <laughs> yes i feel like there's big things for those two <laughs> so do you have uh do you have like favorite episodes that stand out to you? Yes. yes. Do you have any that are in the first season? <laughs> Cuz again, um, like I mean you can name the other ones but but I can't really I can't I'm not allowed to hear about yeah, those. Yeah. So So I think definitely this is one that I just I'll just go back to and rewatch. And why is that? Just because I'm a big Katara and Aang shipper. And oh, okay. <laughs> and this is like one of those moments where you just see their like relationship kind of go on a different level even if they don't realize it um also the song oh my gosh it's so funny it's it's the best thing ever (laughs) yeah um i think from season one it might be the kiyoshi warriors episode oh yeah we get introduced to suki and i think they're just total baddies and so (laughs) they're so cool um i think it's just from season one, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because that's one of mine too because I keep bringing it back up whenever we are, are sort of going through episodes. I, that's one I keep reflecting back on. Mm-hmm. I feel like that uh, – I love those characters and I have a I have a hunch that we're, we haven't seen the end of them. They mm-hmm. seem definitely seated that, that, that mm-hmm. we're going to see more of them. But I also think that's the one where we introduce a lot of the big themes of Aang kind of – leaving people in peril behind him, mm-hmm. leaving destruction in his wake. Even if it's not destruction he he brought on. It's one of the things I love about the show is how for a show targeted at kids, how it's not afraid of like big moral, ethical mm-hmm. questions. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same way you could look at Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter as asking way bigger questions than than you want to than you might think of you know sort of putting into a kid show what was it like as a child watching a sh- i mean were those mm. things over your head or were those things like did they did they hit you 
right. I think as a kid, kid, they really went over my head. Like I didn't realize the depth of it. But really, like rewatching it lately again, and like in previous years, there's so many parts that just make me so sad. Mm-hmm. And that really just like, dang, like how did I not catch this on like earlier? Mm-hmm. And like what you said about Momo and and Appa. Like, one of the things that always struck me was the fact that they were really the last, like, the absolute last of their kind, just like Aang. And that wasn't something that, like, registered. Like, it was just all, like, they're just, like, they're just there. But then when you think about it, there were so many other things that were just as, like, sad and harrowing that you didn't Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. about back then. Like, genocide? Imperialism? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This is, like, its own little history class. Don't you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And 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 sort of the the importance of culture and preserving mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. And with the Kyoshi episode too, mm-hmm. like women as well mm-hmm. and that's I think where we get introduced to kind of like toxic masculinity mm-hmm. <laughs> with Sokka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like that's where it starts right off the bat like third or fourth episode or fifth episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um and that's a theme going through too. Like there's all and I think going back and, and watching it like as a young woman instead of like as a child, that's something too where I'm like, oh, this is actually very empowering yeah. to see, like you said, like these girls are amazing and and they don't need bending to be that way. Mm-hmm. Do you have any episodes you don't like? Oh, um, that's a good question. I, I will. I will say. I mean, we we spent a, a lot of time on the Great Divide episode oh. as like it's <laughs> oh. definitely like a low point. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm curious. Like, like let me rephrase my question. What's your take on the Great Divide as an episode? <laughs> Tell me why that was the first thing that came to my mind too. <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'm on the like on Instagram. There's a ton of fan pages about Avatar, and that's the one episode that's a consensus that like it's hated. But when I watched it, I didn't. I was like, oh, it's just like, whatever. Like, it was a little bit annoying. But I think you also get to know a lot about Katara and Sokka as siblings. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think it is one that I'm like, was it necessary? Could it have been left out? It's one where you have to, like, work hard to be like, this was important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm all for trying to redeem it, though. So that I'm glad to hear that you you have not, like, a uh, just a super negative take on it. Because, like, I, yeah, it was one that I uh, definitely struggled with. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I, yeah, there, there, there's, I feel like there's missed opportunities. It mm-hmm. could be, uh, it could be, we spent a lot of time in our episode talking about that, mm-hmm. um, how, like, ways you could have made that better. Um, speaking of things that are uh, not necessarily great, have you seen the the last Airbender movie? Yes. <laughs> Thoughts. Thoughts on it. We don't talk about it. Okay. <laughs> it didn't happen. It didn't happen. <laughs> the the whitewashing, the acting. Oh. We don't we don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have not seen this movie. Oh. So, um, but we may have an episode coming up where we're going to review sort of it. Hate watch it. I'm not sure how. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be. Traumatic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I can tell from the trailer that I. It's like not great. Yeah. I remember I watched that in theaters. Oh, oh really? You paid like money. Came out. I paid money. No, to watch that it. movie made. That movie cost one hundred and fifty million dollars, and it made three hundred and fifteen worldwide. That was a hit. That was a big. 
And it majorly successful movie. And it hurt so many people. Right. Whoa. <laughs> we all had such high expectations. Yeah. Even the trailer the trailer was bad, but it's like, you know, it's just a trailer. Sure. It's just three mm-hmm. minutes. Okay, so let me ask you this though. Like, I'm still and I don't know, like it it's unnecessary because the show exists and the show is so great. But if you found out that they were going to try it again and they were going to do it right, would you be interested in a live action Avatar The Last Airbender? Yes. Why do, why is that? Because I feel that way too, but I don't know why I feel that yeah, way. I don't, I don't know what it is about it either. And I know that they, they are, like Netflix is working on making one, mm-hmm. but somehow something happened that they weren't taking the approach that the creators wanted and they stepped out. So like, Oh, that's right. I yeah. think they want to make it more adult oh. than what it is. Yeah, something like yeah. that. And so they wanted to make it like sexier and more violent. And the, the creators, yeah, I think the creators are like, we're gonna, we, this is not what we intended. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's what I read on some blog. So <laughs> <laughs> no sources verified here, but. All right, Nancy. So do you identify with a particular nation? And I'm going to ask it in two oh. ways. Do you identify with the, like, if you could have one of the bending powers, mm. so you don't get to be Avatar, you don't get all of them. <laughs> if you could have one of them, what would you want? It would be water. Water? It would be no water hesitation. Bending, no hesitation. Huh. And why is that? Because of Katara. Okay. <laughs> I aspire to be like Katara. Um, I just love everything you can do with water and the healing aspect. Mm-hmm. You could be a healer. And if you're super good at bending, you could reach like blood bend. That's right. That's right. Yet. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you could reach different levels of bending. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, uh, I love everything about it. Okay. How about, uh, not in terms of the power, but in terms of the cultures, is there a culture that you're most drawn to? I think it would be the Fire Nation. Mm. Really? Okay. Tell me about that. There's some episodes in season three where they actually like spend time in the Fire Nation and I don't know, something about the culture, the food Mm -hmm. was just really interesting and really lively compared to like... Like the water nation who's very, like... It's austere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I will say, to make you feel better about that, when we asked this question last week, my response was, the only thing other than the military I've seen in the Fire Nation is the the festival that they have at the Mm -hmm. end of season one, and it Mm -hmm. seems pretty great. Yeah. The people seem fine. Like, it seems like that. They got spicy foods. Yeah. Food, like, that, yeah. that sounds good. Yeah, because I feel like the, the water tribe's eating a lot of boiled fish, mm-hmm. and, like, it's pretty bland. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. just surrounded by water and ice. And I oh, yes. love the outfits in the Fire Nation. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And it's just interesting to, like, grow up, like, for people who grow up in an empire and to, like, be mm-hmm. the ones that have the power and wealth. I just think it's really fascinating to like flesh out characters like Zuko that come from that background, right? Yeah, mm. yeah. Or like like his like Iroh too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love Iroh. If I could just choose a favorite character, I think it's him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so much I like. Uh, I want to I want to have you back on when when, <laughs> when when I'm deeper into the show because there's so much I want to ask you, but it's like I know everything I ask is going to point to things I'm not allowed to know yet. <laughs> Um, but this has been really fantastic, Nancy. Yeah. Thank you so much yes. for uh, for joining us. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I have found as I've started uh, my my journey through this show that I keep finding people who are mm. like, oh, I love this show. And um, it's really fun to have something to talk with, whether it's talking to my 
um, you know, 12 year old nephews mm-hmm. or whether it's talking to my students or whether it's talking to adults who are watching the show or have, who have watched the show. Mm-hmm. So the next step will be, I, I have not got my kids to watch it yet, but my daughter mm-hmm. said over Christmas, she, she would burn through season one with me again. So yeah. that will be, that will be, because I think she's going to love it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. such you can't an easy not. show to love. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. This was so much fun, you guys. Nice <laughs> to meet you. You, you too. <laughs> Well, Annie, that is all the time that we have. Um, this was a great episode. It was full of uh, kind of tangents, I think. But I think that's sort of very much... I feel like we had a, a Chong vibe to our conversation a little yeah, bit. Yeah, right? no we, plans. We weren't worried about getting to the end of the episode. We were worried about where the episode led us. And maybe maybe in this holiday season with the pandemic and everything, maybe that's maybe Chong should be like our guide. <laughs> Choose to this. chill. Choose yes. Chong. Oh, wow. Wow. If we had merch, that would be <laughs> with a picture of him on it. That would be pretty rad. Christmas present. <laughs> all right. Uh, that is all the time we have. Uh, please check out our uh, our website, avatarwithacademics.wordpress.com. Uh, uh, really great stuff. You can go back and find old episodes. Um, if you want to be a guest on the show, we are still booking guests. I uh, would love to talk with you about your experiences. Hopefully now that you've heard a couple interviews, you know that it's probably not that scary. We just like to hear about people's experiences. Um, we are lining up some other um, some other guests. Um, we're going to be dropping one episode a week, some of these with guests, some without, especially during the Christmas holidays. It's going to be a little trickier to get guests in, but we're going to try to do that. But as we roll into January, there's lots of opportunities uh, for that. So email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. Uh, we will be back next week with episode 23. Return to Omashu. Omashu.